You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. so excited just to be able to celebrate with Mickey and what God's been doing in his life and um, such an incredible young man who just serves so wholeheartedly for the Lord. So excited for you, Mickey. Congratulations on your baptism. So fun to be able to uh, just to celebrate this this time in your life. I also want to just celebrate moms and just say happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Uh, someone gave me a mic this morning, so I get to say a specific happy Mom's Day to my mom, um, to my mother-in-law, to grandmother-in-law, uh, and to, to my incredible wife, Tara. You are an incredible mom and just love you so much. And I want to encourage all of you today at some point in time, mom, grandma, a a woman of influence in your life, someone that God has given you that has just spoken love and truth in your life, make sure you show them appreciation today um, because God has given them as a blessing to us and and he's watching over us um, in in a way because of their love for us. So happy Mom's Day to all of you there. Well, let's just dive into uh, our story with Habakkuk. Um, I want to go back as we have come through these last few weeks to kind of re-engage the story from the beginning as we, we walk through the, the, the remaining parts of chapter two today. And it's interesting to me to, to see this narrative between Habakkuk and, and God unfold. Because Habakkuk starts with this, this complaint, this frustration, because Judah is kind of running out of control with their lives. And these are God's people. And he's saying, why will you let them consi- consistently live in their sin like this? And God responds. And he says this really cool phrase that uh, is powerful. And it's like, Habakkuk, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe it if I told you. And he's setting up Habakkuk to saying, hey, I know you don't get what's happening happening. I know you don't understand what is going on around you, but I've got this. And so I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans to come and bring uh, a punishment and a judgment on Judah. Wait, what? God, you're going you're gonna to bring up an evil nation to bring punishment to your people? That doesn't make any sense to me. So Habakkuk brings his second complaint and he says, wait, how can you do that? How can you use this evil nation to punish your people? And God responds again with this, this idea, this truth. I know you don't get this, but wait and be patient with, with, with what I'm doing. I'm going to unfold for you the story that, not because you're asking me to do something, I'm going to unfold for you the story, my plan that I've already had in motion. So Habakkuk goes up to his watchtower, as we heard Pastor Keith preach about last week. And he comes before God and says, God, you've heard my complaint. And, and I'm frustrated, but you're God, and I know you're about to correct some of my thinking. And so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch for what this is, watch for what you have to say. And so God begins to speak. And he challenged is uh, Habakkuk in this thinking that the righteous will live by faith. And I love this phrase and even the, the Hebrew behind it, because there's a sense that it's not just what I do in living out my faith. Uh, it's it's about me living in faith in God's faithfulness. And, and that's such a really incredible truth that we see that is not up to us, that we step into the faithfulness of God. And in that place, we stand in faith 
based on who he is. And then that leads us to some pretty heavy portions of God's response here. Five woes that God's going to bring judgment against the Chaldeans. And he begins with this in verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So God begins to tell this oracle, this response to Habakkuk's complaint, that these people are struggling with the biggest issue maybe known to man, which is pride that they've, they've thought so much about who they are. They think so much of who they have become that they're, they're inebriated by their own thinking of themselves. They, they don't see straight. They don't understand things right. They, they've totally miscued on their lives and where they're going. And it's this issue of pride. They've lost themselves in the midst of that. And so as a result, because God is a holy God, he must judge and punish sin. And so he goes on in verse six and he begins to unfold five woes against uh, the nation of Babylon, against the Chaldeans. And shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him to say. And he gets to woe number one, which is a woe for greed. Woe number one is a woe for greed. And he writes this in the latter, latter part of verse six. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. He creates debt for other people. He's putting people into a, a difficult position where they owe. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. The first woe is greed. And here's God's response. Because you've heaped up what is not your own, because you've brought uh, all this debt on people around you, because you, you sought more for your own gain. Hey, guess what's gonna happen? Because you've plundered, you will be plundered. That's the judgment. That's the judgment that's so heavy on this. That as a result of their greed, they will be plundered as they've just blown through this earth, as they've just walked through saying, hey, this is about us. And they've lost sight of where they are. And then they move into woe number two. And God says, it's basically this woe is a false security. And it's just really interesting the way that, that it's said here. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork responds. So the Babylonians were known for uh, building these pretty impressive structures. They, they were known for, for uh, kind of presenting themselves in such a way that the stature around their, their nation was, was seen and known. And, and God says, you know what? You've built up all of this stuff for evil gain. You've made so much about yourself. You've set yourself on high. But here's the reality, that the things that you've built up in your life, the wood and the stones, the what you have built is going to speak out against you. That, that it's not because of your strength or because of what you were able to accomplish but there's something greater than that. And so even these things that you've built with your own hands or things that you think are, are about stature, they're gonna speak against you and they're gonna bring judgment against you. 
because even those things, as great as they may seem, are not enough. And then he leads us into woe number three, which is a woe of injustice. And he, he says, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The woe of injustice. The Chaldeans have, have taken advantage uh, of, of bringing pain and bringing hurt, of building towns on blood. They've looked at uh, people who have less and they've, they've dis- plundered and, and taken away from them. They say, like, we're going to just blow through you and we're going to build up cities for ourselves. We're going to build up this world um, on our own our own things, on, on our own uh, strength and our own power. And the Lord's saying, no, injustice is not uh, something that I, I can hold as a holy God to. I, that it's not something I can approve of. It's not something that aligns with, with my glory. And, and you think that you've built up these towns and these cities and, and they're going to be okay, but you've done it out of injustice. You've taken advantage of the people that are weaker, that are, are poorer, that are in need, and you just walked all over them. And you need to know this, that I am a God of justice. And throughout all the earth, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be known and will be filled. You think you're greater than all these things, but I am greater than all those things that you have built. And so my judgment will come against your injustice. And then he goes on to woe number four, which is lust. Not necessarily a, um, a, a physical or a, a sexual lust here, but it's the craving for more, the craving for something that isn't necessarily yours. And he says, woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beast that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities, and to all that dwell in them. You're taking advantage of the people around you, Babylon. You're, you're lusting for something that's not as yours. You're, you're getting drunk and you're building these things and you're inebriated and, and you're, you don't even see all that is broken and hurting around you. And then you're inviting people into it with you. You're leading people to be a part of something that they never were meant to be a part of. This, this lust that you have for, for gain and, and, and for advantage and everything else is going to come back against you. This cup that you're asking, you're making people drink of, of, that is of yours is not as great as the cup of the Lord's. For the cup of the Lord will pour out the wrath upon you because of your sin and your evil ways. How powerful to think of that. We get so focused on this little thing in front of us that we feel is full. And when we let that distract us and move us away from the holiness of God, the cup of the Lord is so much greater. And what he will pour out because he is holy and he must punish sin will be greater than that. And then he moves on to the fifth woe, 
And he begins talking about these idols that, that Babylon has built. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him. Woe, number five, is of empty idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? I love that phrase. How can you look to a wooden thing and a stone that has no breath? Can it, how can it even speak truth? How can it bring life in any way? It can't. And he goes on to say, behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it at all. You've put all your attention on something that you've shaped and built with your own hands. You've put all of your work into this empty, breathless, lifeless image. You've built up for yourself something about who you think you are, and you've crafted it in a way, and then you ask something of it. You ask it to bring you life. You ask it uh, to bring you words to, that, that can help un you understand where you are, to guide you, to lead you, whatever it may be. And then you wait only to realize it has nothing to teach you. Why? Because it's breathless. There's no life in it. There's nothing there to lead or to guide you. It is an empty idol. So he brings these woes of greed, of false security, of injustice, of lust, and of this empty idol before the Chaldeans and say, this is how I will judge these evil nations. This is how I will bring uh, upon my holiness to correct the sin in this world. Habakkuk, I've got this covered. And I know this is what you think you're asking and what you're looking for, but there's something so much to this oracle that God has brought. There's something that goes beyond this that uh, I want to pause in a second because as I was reading through this passage, I remember a time when, when I was in college and there's just things going on in my life that I, I, I went out of my, my dorm room and I went out um, into this grassy field and I just raised my fist to God. I was so upset with the situation around me. And I was like, God, I want you to fix the situation. I want you to take, uh, take control of it. I want you to, to do these things. And so I gave him a list of what I wanted him to do, the people I wanted him to punish, the, the response I wanted him to have. And I let him hear it. I gave it up and I, I, I shouted at God on that night in Deerfield, Illinois. And my expectation was God, for God to hear what I had and take all of my suggestions and say, God, if I, I need you to do A, B, C, and D, and this is how I want you to do it. And I shouted that out at God, and I was angry, and I was frustrated, and I was complaining, similar to what Habakkuk has been doing. And then God gave me a different voice back. He said, Jason, I've, I've, got this, I've got this covered. And it's not about a response that I'm going to give because you've asked me to do these things. I'm already working so let me let you into this greater conversation. So I want to pause here because there's so much I think we can learn from these woes for our world. When I look at the ideas uh, of, of greed and false security, of injustice, of lust, of, of seeking after empty idols, I'm not sure there's something uh, that we can't learn from this judgment over the Chaldeans and now over Babylon. 
I'm not sure that, that our world and, and our American culture is that far off from where the Chaldeans are. I think when we think of the idea of greed, we can look at our world and say, man, we, we, we are a greedy place. When, when we look at this place of, of building up false security, homes and jobs and, and careers and, and having a, the best Roth IRA or whatever it may be, we're storing up all of this stuff for us and we're saying, this is our security, this is our foundation, but then all of that seems to fall apart and then what? This isn't unfamiliar to us or, or an injustice an injustice in our world that, that, and honestly, we create even in the most subtle ways. There's some really non-subtle ways of injustice in our world. But I think in, in, in our nation, in our, in our place, in our own lives, we might have some more underlying areas of injustice that we might need to address. And lust, I'm telling you, with, with everything out there that we're craving more and more to be filled, to be saturated with something, is this not? something that, that in our world, in our country that we're struggling with? And what about empty idols? Where are we putting our trust and our faith? What are we asking to speak life into us only to get nothing in return? What are we willing to pay for? What are we willing to, to go into debt for? All of these things uh, can align. There's so much to learn from this judgment that we can take. But I want to pause on that. And I, I don't want to just pause and, and put it to the side. I want you to go and study this more because there's so much we can learn from what God is bringing against the Chaldeans as we walk in this world of sin and brokenness. As sometimes when we get, uh, and even in now in these times where we're in solitude, we're creating these habits and these, these new rhythms that unfortunately can lead us to some really good things, but it can also lead us to some really hard things. And so we got to be careful because the, the slope is slippery to get caught up in these woes ourselves. So I want you to, the, to focus on these and study these later that there's a, a contrast that we often to uh, run to greed over generosity. We often run to a false security over a true security. We often run to and live in an injustice over justice. We often hold on to a lust over living out love. We often hope for empty, breathless, speechless idols over a loving, speaking, breath-giving God. And we need to address that in our lives. But I'm going to leave that to you to study that on your own. Because here's the thing. What's really intriguing about uh, these 15 verses in the last part of this chapter is this. That this oracle wasn't given um, and asked of Habakkuk to write it down so that he could take it to the Chaldeans. This wasn't a, a correction of their lives to say, hey, this is the judgment that'll come if you don't change. This is a prophetic word of God to say, I have a plan. I know I will judge and bring wrath upon a sinful and broken and an evil nation. But Habakkuk, this is more for you. This is for you and for, for my people to hear and to know this, that I am in control that all of the chaos going on around you, that everything that seems to be falling apart and makes no sense around you, I share this with you, what will be fulfilled in the future to help you know and to help you understand that I am in control. And so when he asked Habakkuk to write it down so that the runner can run with it and can read it clearly, it's an understanding that God is in control. 
God is unfolding his story for us. Not just the story of where we are, but the story that is coming. Because he wants us to know that he has all authority in this place. That it's not, the world is not void of his hand at work, even though it seems chaotic and, and out of control and it doesn't make any sense to us. That God is in control and he, he leads to this final verse in this chapter. A place that he wants us to understand um, that we need to run to. And he begins to shift Habakkuk's posture from uh, chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. And we be, we'll begin to see how Habakkuk begins to respond differently to God in these next couple of weeks coming up. And he writes this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. That God has not left his throne. He is not out of control. He is in his holy temple. He is seated on his throne. And let all the earth keep silence before him. I love that. I, I was reading that over and over again, thinking, man, it's as great because he's talking about the Chaldeans, his message is about the Chaldeans, and they're just going to come before silence and awe and reverence of God because of his power and his greatness. But I, I paused on that for a second. I, thought, I wonder if this last verse is for Habakkuk and for the people of God to say, hey, I'm on my throne. I've got this in my hands. I have all the authority. When I speak, things change. And so come to my presence and learn to glorify my name. Let all the earth, everybody in it, be silent before me because I am God. And there's a truth right there that God in this oracle, as he's presenting it and having Habakkuk write it down, is saying, the purpose of you understanding my control is this, so you can learn to glorify my name and trust in me. This is even going back to verse four. It's, it's, it's righteous shall live by faith. That You trust in my faithfulness and that is the foundation in which you stand on. And there's power in that truth. All the chaos, all the things that you don't feel like you have a grasp of, that you don't understand. You're like, God, what are you doing in this time? What is happening? I don't understand. I am in control. I've got the chaos in my hands. I have all the authority. I sit on my throne. And I'm calling you to that place to be in my presence and to learn to glorify my name. And I wish I could jump into chapter three right now. Everything in me is wanting to go there because Habakkuk's posture and response begins to change because of his time and in his place in the presence of God. Lots to learn from this, this judgment against Chaldeans. Lots that we can take away from this. But it has to start at the throne of God, where we are just silent before him. What do you have for me? Look at it this way. If we're able to look back at what God has done, 
I think every one of us would be able to look back and see, God has been faithful at these different times in my life. And there's things that, that I, I haven't understood all the way through, but looking back, it's the hindsight that God has been faithful. And then he's given us this promise that we can look ahead. He's done this for Habakkuk. Here's, here's what's going to happen, Habakkuk. I've showed you the way. I've shown you my response. This is the realities. You know what's going ha- to happen in the future. And we have that too. We have that right here in the word of God. We know what is coming. We even have this, the presence and the power of Jesus. We've seen what he's done through the cross, through his conquering of death. He's promised to to go away and prepare a place for us and that he will return for us, his children. We know what is to come. And so because we know he has been faithful, we know he will continue to be faithful for us ahead. We can stand in this place of faith on the foundation of who he is with where we are right now. And this is exactly what God is calling us to be remembering in our moments and to learn to glorify his name at that place, to hold to the truth that he is all authority, that he is in control of this world, of of every situation, of your life. He's got it in his hands. And it's a powerful, powerful truth. And so as we watch this story unfold for Habakkuk, this is what I imagine Habakkuk standing on the watchtower. He's kind of shaking his hands. He's like, I know you're going to bring this reproof and this correction to what I'm thinking in my complaint. And I've asked this of you and I don't get it. And I'm imagining Habakkuk going, oh, and coming, coming to this place of taking a deep breath and coming to a place of being silent before the Lord and in his heart saying, glory to your name for you are holy. And so I wonder this morning if we need to do the same thing in our lives, that we see the chaos and God has been faithful for us in the past and he's, he's promising to be faithful as we move forward. But do we need to give him the control? Do we need to release to him our concerns and our complaints and let him move? Do we need to be silent before the Lord and just bring glory to his name and trust in him? I've asked Nathan to to do a song this morning that's gonna be new, Um, but it's a powerful song that speaks of the authority of God that at his voice, at his word, things change that he is in control, that he changes the atmosphere, that he changes the situation in his time, in his will, in his purpose. And he allows us to be a part of that story with him. And so I want to encourage you that to pull out your worship guide to read and to hear the words that even as Nathan sings that over us, that we hold on to this truth and the power of God that no matter what the chaos is around us, no matter what we may not understand, that he is in control, that he has all authority. He's got it. So let's learn to glorify his name, to come before his throne, to come open-handed and say, God, this is yours. And I worship you. And I am silent. I am in awe and reverence of you. So receive this song, receive these words as a power of truth that is sung over you, that is sung for you, that God has authority 
and we can have and live by faith in his faithfulness this morning. Let's worship together.